Hello, Dancewell listeners. This is Ellie Kushner, and welcome to episode 90 and the start of season five. Honestly, I really can't believe that Marissa and I have done 90 episodes. Let me take a pause to absorb that. Well, this season we have some surprises in store for you, so keep an eye out for our new material. And in the meanwhile, I want to tell you more about Michelle Dwarka, who I've interviewed for this episode about resilience. Born in Basel, Switzerland, Michelle has an MA in theater, arts, and sciences from the University in Oslo, and an MAS in dance science from the University in Bern. Since 2021, she's working towards a diploma in cognitive sports psychology, mentoring dance students at different institutions, such as the Norwegian National Ballet School and Oslo National Academy of the Arts. She's been working as an educator at different institutions in and around Oslo, Norway, and as of recently, she's a research assistant program coordinator for dancer, dance and theater education and guest lecturer in dance psychology at Oslo National Academy of the Arts. Currently a member of the IADAMS Dance Educators Committee, Michelle is working closely with an international network of dancers and dance educators alike. Her main research interests include anatomy and dance education and resilience and mental health and dance. The past couple years have been, well, they've been challenging, haven't they? (laughs) So I was eager to learn more about how we overcome and even grow from stress. Thus, I give you episode 90, Resilience. Buckle your seatbelts. On this episode, nutrition, life coach, dance and performance, psychological training. And today you are in for attraction. Hi. Hello. This is Ellie Kushner. And this is Marissa Schaefer from Dancewell Podcast. Dancewell Podcast. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us on Dancewell Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. I want to start this conversation about resilience with just a little bit of your experience and how um, you came to be researching this topic. Yeah, so uh, I've been involved in a project called Resilience in Ethics in Dance Education. So that was a scoping review, just looking at the whole literature that was written in dance on resilience, especially, but also teaching in education and ethics. But right now we're trying to kind of expand that project a little bit. And uh, next we're going to look at um, risk behavior in dance, but also in sports and in music. So we're looking at what are these performers doing and are they actually getting more resilient by doing these things like being engaging in this risk behavior or are they coping in a maladaptive way? I actually came to this whole project uh, via Heidi, who is um, the other researcher on the project. I actually, well, I've been in a performance environment all my life, but I didn't really think about resilience as something that can be researched because I always thought it's very tricky. So she kind of put me on the path to do that. And it was just the two of us um, doing this scoping review for a project called Resilience and Ethics in Dance uh, education. 
So uh, we were just really curious what actually has been written about uh, resilience and uh, ethics in dance. So we set out uh, almost two years ago to actually write the scoping review and screen these articles that um, we got presented by the library that assisted us. And uh, in the end, I think we screened about 2,000 articles uh, about resilience or that had the buzzword resilience in it. So, um, yeah, that's where we are today. We're almost done now. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, so just to reiterate, 2,000 articles you've, you've been reading about resilience. Um, and when you started to read about it, I guess I have a couple questions. I want to know if this has been looked at in the dance environment. I'm sure it's been looked at in performance, but I'm curious if it's been looked at specifically in dance. And also just about, um, I'd like to know just about what captured you once you started to dive into the literature more and more. Well, first, uh, actually, I've expected to find something about resilience in that whole literature amount and pile, but there was very little about resilience being written in dance. What we found is that there were many studies describing stresses in the dance environment and many coping strategies in the dance environment. So they describe different things that you might um, struggle with, for example, like injuries or eating disorders or body image. I don't know how you would deal with that, but they didn't write about the resiliency process in itself. So that was quite interesting. But of course, it was also a bit humbling because all these people were putting so much energy into actually writing about a stressor that dancers would experience. And if you're looking at the amount of stressors there are, you realize that dancers actually have to deal with a lot of stress in everyday life. So that was actually quite interesting. But still, we were quite surprised that nobody actually took up the whole process or at least asked the questions, how is resiliency made? Kind of what happens after you cope with something successfully or not so successfully? What makes you resilient? Is it the adaptation? Is it that you reflect about it? What is it actually that makes you thrive in the end? Yeah, I noticed just now you used the term resiliency process. And so um, would you like to talk a little bit about that concept as resilience, not so much as an inborn trait, but as a process that is acquired? Yeah, exactly, because there's this kind of discrepancy in the research. If you look in sports, for example, they have done quite a lot of research on resilience, but there is no real conclusion about if resilience is a process or trait. Many people say it's both. Um, we found that people might think it's actually a process because there is a stressor or adversity. They called it adversity before, but researchers actually went away from calling it adversity and called it stressor now. And um, they actually saw that uh, you go through this adversity, you're actually coping with that adversity because you have to do something about it if you're confronted with it. And either you do it in a bad way, which would be maladaptive, or in a good way, which would be then a successful coping strategy. But they then did not really say anything about what happens afterwards. Mm -hmm. So that was quite interesting. So actually then they indicated it is a process. And then other research kind of said, well, maybe if you have 
an open or flexible mindset, for example, like a growth mindset that we know from Cal Dreck, then maybe you're more prone to actually successfully cope with the adversity or stressor. So oh, that was the only thing that we actually found. Because in sports, they were quite further with that. So they talked about, for example, that you need to have a positive personality, uh, you need motivation, you need self-compassion, you need self-awareness. And part of that kind of is distilled into the dance research, but in very, very few places, really like two articles maybe that mention that. Yeah, I... Um... I think we hear about resiliency so much in the pop media, you know? Um, and I actually have a friend who said, you should do a podcast about resiliency in dance. <laughs> and I thought, well, is there really, is there anything out there? Like, or is it just a concept that we bandy about in the, you know, in conversation? Um, so, what is the quality of the studies that are out there and where does maybe the way that pop culture talks about resiliency vary from the way researchers are looking at it? Yeah, I mean, the, the research out there is mostly looking at the stresses and the coping strategies versus uh, media is mostly talking about, oh my God, now we bounce back. Let's think of COVID, for example, now. Mm -hmm. Many people are kind of talking about how they bounce back from, from the COVID adversities they experienced and the struggle was real for all of us <laughs> i think mm -hmm. but um it's not very nuanced in the media so they're, they're not really talking about what kind of stresses are they talking about if they're talking about these adversities in covid for example is it that you got divorced is it that you lost somebody dear to you um because these are all different kind of stresses that would actually been um, written about in a different way in the literature as well for example trauma and um, resiliency in, in childhood is something completely different than the resiliency we see in dance, in a way. So, yeah, but I know what you mean. It's a buzzword right now that pops up quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Are there high quality studies or um, are what, what is the quality of the studies that exist in research? Yeah, they actually were quite high quality because we our research was kind of... Um, split in two parts. One part was about more like dance education and ethics. And there the, the research quality was much lower than uh, in the resiliency and mental health part that I looked at especially. So there were a lot of studies that were high quality, that were evidence-based. But um, what we've missed is that the, the research actually um, looked at more action research as well, that they looked at these concepts and tried to put them out there to the teachers, to the students, and actually saw, are they actually holding true? Are they good? What, what, what is bad about them? So there was very little about that. And that might, you might think, well, then it's not high quality. Yes, it was high quality, because the ideas were very good, and the studies had high rigor. But still, um, we missed that they actually went even further and tried them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there other ways that people refer to resilience? Like, is there, is there a set definition? Is it a sort of composite definition? Are there other terms that we use that are similar or analogous to resilience? Yeah, I mean, uh, people also use grit mm, to... Yes. 
scrap resilience, right? And sometimes there's empowerment or thriving. And that's also two buzzwords you might hear. But it's mostly seen as the ability to meet a stressor and then cope with the stressor successfully and then thrive at the end after you coped with that stressor. And I am assuming there must be uh, a way to measure resiliency that's, you know, valid and reliable. Is that true? In a way, I mean, there's a grid scale, but it has been used maybe a few times because, as I said, not many studies explicitly looked at resilience. It was mostly something that they maybe mentioned in the results section that they said, oh, maybe it's fostering resilience. But most people, also in sports, they actually then conducted qualitative studies, like, for example, interviews, and then they distilled the resiliency in people more out of what they told. It's almost like survivor stories and narrative tales that they they kind of um, try to, um, well, distill it out like that. So there is not a real big measure out there. I don't feel like there is an established measure out there. But people really try to kind of pinpoint because maybe because there is such a discrepancy between is it the process or trait, mm-hmm. how to actually do that. I guess a process or a trait or a collection of skills might be another way to think of it that like I can imagine if you have a collection of good coping skills that could also maybe be related to a measure of resilience. Yeah, exactly. Or, uh, yeah, psychological skills. That's another buzzword right now that many are talking about. Uh, because I think it's something quite um, relevant for resilience to talk about that. Because many studies also said, um, well, if you begin to train these psychological skills as self-development, self-awareness, focus, motivation, and self-compassion, especially in dance, then you might actually foster this resilience that you might think about these stresses differently and you meet them differently too. Mm, Like reframing them and yeah, feeling them differently. Exactly, yes. And so I think you've sort of segued here. Let's um, take off your researcher hat and (laughs) and put on your dance performance world educator hat um (laughs) so as because you've said you know there isn't a lot about resilience in a dance environment so um yeah let's let's see what your personal impression is as as a person who lives in the dance world um you've talked about why resilience seems necessary in dance because there are so many of these stressors um, are there other reasons that you think it's really important to understand resilience in dance? Yeah, I mean, um, just let's just look at the whole environment. It's very tough and competitive. Uh, dance talent development starts very early. So most dancers also move out of their home very early and away from their parents and friends. So that's already a big thing, which I think many people don't think about when we're talking about resilience and being in a dance environment. And then also this tacit expectation, I guess, that you need to commit completely to dance, which has very little truth, actually, in mm-hmm. research, I find anyway. Because there's many people or many dancers I talk to um, that had substantial injuries, which is another stressor you might experience that is always 
putting you at risk of never returning to dance. They actually say that uh, what saved them was having a life outside of dance and having other interests than dance. But mostly they don't they don't really think about that before they really injured and they think, oh my god, I can't do this anymore. Maybe. So they start to kind of have to feel us out and think about different things. But I still think, well, there's a lot of rejection out there as well. Since we talk about injuries and then coming back, there's a lot of rejection out there. You don't know if you can come back. You don't know if you make the next audition. You don't know if the company keeps you or not, or if you're going up the ranks as you thought you would. So resilience is really important that you kind of, you know, keep your blinders on and you focus on growth and yourself instead of being kind of put down by the environment you're in. When you talk about that, I'm thinking a lot about, you know, resilience versus rigidity. I think in a dance environment, sometimes, and I'm, of course, coming from a classical ballet background and then a more contemporary modern dance background, but, you know, the emphasis on uh, fortitude, (laughs) you know, and stick to itness, which are really can be good qualities. Um, but that's not necessarily resilience, right? Like, um, just sort of bucking up and taking it. Uh, that's not exactly resilience, right? No, I would agree with that. I think resilience is more like how you deal with the, the stresses that you experience like for example if you're perfectionist how do you deal with that that you always want to be perfect can you actually challenge yourself or how do you come back from a substantial injury so it doesn't mean that you have to take that somebody abuses you in your environment mm-hmm, right or tells you well now for example that was covid and now you just have to deal with it and i can just treat you however i want that's not resilience that you take that and swallow that yeah, and so I, I, I'm wondering if dance fosters resilience, in your opinion. Um... Yeah, that's an interesting question, I think. Um, I mean, there's no data to support that, mm-hmm. as far as I know. But I think I would rather ask, is there something about dance that can foster resilience? Maybe not dance itself, but maybe something about dance. Is there a quality in dance that could do that? Mm-hmm. that's actually an interesting question I do think um, that dance can foster resilience by exposing people to all these adversities in the environment that they actually have to deal with and if you think about well, young dancers have to deal with a lot of things, they have to deal with a lot of pressure maybe they put a lot of pressure on themselves because they have high ambitions they have to move away from home mostly anyway um, I know it's like that in the States, especially, that you move away from home. Um, so these are a lot of quite big stresses also in terms of transitions, that you transition quite early from child to adulthood. Mm-hmm. So I think it does kind of foster resilience, but then other places would do that as well, if you look at other working places. Yeah, and resilience is sort of... Uh dance could foster resilience if it provides those stressors, but also provides the support and the safety net, right? But if it, if, if a student, if a young person or a young professional 
is exposed to all those stressors and they don't have the resources in place to navigate them, then what is the opposite of resilience, right? Maladaption, maladaptive habits, right? Um, exactly. Can form. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you can think um, that, um, well, or you can ask, are dancers actually prepared to enter that environment? Uh, because right now, I think there are very few dancers that get this psychological skill training that they would need to actually enter this environment and being prepared to cope well and don't go into the maladaptive trap, basically. As you just said, there's a kind of, it's almost like there's a netting that you have around yourself. So support is very important from your family, but also from peers. Mm-hmm. And in a competitive environment, that's maybe quite difficult sometimes, at least, to have these friendships that are there to support you when you really need it, when you're in competition with each other. So a teaching climate that is very good and task-involving is also really important in that sense. So it would really depend, I think, on the dance environment that you're in, whether it fosters resilience or not. And as you rightly said, do you have the skills that are needed to actually have these coping skills that are going to carry you further and make you kind of come back from the adversity that you experienced? Yeah, and I'm thinking about like, Paula Thompson's research on shame or, you know, what we know Mm -hmm. about the trauma levels. And we have this um, data suggesting that dancers have higher levels of shame and trauma than the average population. And of course, we don't know if um, it's the dance environment creating these um, shameful feelings and, and the trauma, or if it's you know, dance is appealing as a form of expression and connection for people mm-hmm. who are high in these qualities. But it, um, you know, in some, yeah, in some ways we think of dancers as being highly resilient and able to endure these demanding environments, but also they're a, a vulnerable population at the same time. So um, where do you think the needle falls sort of on that on that spectrum in the dance population from the more sensitive vulnerable side to the resilient side yeah i mean there's this kind of idea of especially artists being very sensitive people and i guess maybe there is something to that i think just out of my own experience i think all kinds of people are actually dancing they're all individuals mm-hmm. so I feel it would be really weird to say, well, uh, all dancers are more sensitive and maybe less resilient because of that. I actually think the opposite is mostly true, that um, because they're all different, mostly they could actually support each other really well. But maybe they don't do that because they don't never learn to how to do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe their environment is not supporting that. And some do. Some find each other and they actually support each other because they're very different people. Some might be disorganized and others might be very organized. Others might struggle with photo bras. Others might struggle with feet work and they find each other and they help each other. And that might really be really good. And still that also means that you are sensitive towards each other and have empathy. And I think dancers do have a lot of empathy because you need to have that to work with each other. I just think of partnering work, both modern dance and in ballet. 
But uh, yeah, it is. Um, I think dancers just get confronted with a lot of different aspects of um, stresses and stressing environment that maybe other people don't experience like that. And um, well, and as you just touched upon as well, that um, they were they are kind of expected to tolerate a lot, and maybe think that's resiliency because they they tolerating it. They're, they're told to tolerate it. And we see more and more that actually they should not do that. Mm-hmm. They should not tolerate anything, right? Yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, I just I do want to just highlight what you said a moment ago about all different people dancing, and I just think that's so important because. We know that our research in dance science is generally looking at a very narrow sector of the overall dancing population of the world, right? So um, I appreciate you highlighting that fact. Um, Yeah, let's now talk a bit about what you just said, which is um, this idea that resilience is sometimes used against the most vulnerable people. So it's sometimes used um, to imply that dancers should endure abuses or mistreatments. And, you know, even further, like, I don't know if you've come across this in your research on in just the broader education um, field, but, you know, it's sometimes implied that students who are really dealing with the most serious stressors like poverty and racism and food insecurity and all of, you know, these very um, significant basic stressors. um, It's sometimes implied that they lack resilience when they show any sort of inability to cope (laughs) with things when in fact they're probably more resilient if we, if we zoom out. So do you want to talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, that's a very interesting and really important aspect. Um, we found just very few of the studies were actually looking at that aspect, which is a really important aspect because it talks about the support system because financial means is also a support, a supporting mean. It's mm-hmm. a supportive system that actually falls away. So they said if that supportive system is weakened, you might uh, develop actually maladaptive coping strategies and you might not um, having the, the support needed sometimes. But, while other people might actually take that as a motivation and say, I will still do it despite these adversities um, by means of financial poverty or whatever you're going to experience. But I think what struck me most in the research was um, there is nothing um, about people that identify of being people of colour, people from the LGBT community. Uh, there was something about um, male dancers. There was actually quite a lot about gender identity in that respect, mm-hmm. and that they experienced a lot of homophobia. But again, they accepted that because they said, oh, but it's part of it, because that those studies were mostly geared towards ballet. And they said, well, we just have to accept it because that's how it is. I'm a dancer. Uh, if if it's not convenient, I can hide it. I can hide that I'm a dancer. I can also try to make it more masculine to be a dancer. But I felt very stereotypicized within dance. Mm. So th- that was a quite interesting one. It was a bit heartbreaking as well, and especially not hearing anything um, from a people of color perspective. Especially, I was really thinking this is something lacking 
in, in this research. And it's so important that we hear about it from people maybe also experiencing um, racism, ethical abuse, anything like that. So I think because that is also a part of a support system that you don't have, like poverty, for example. How can we as a community create environments that are more fostering of resilience um, in dance? Mm. Well, I'm thinking, first of all, um, research points to that, as I said before, psychological skill training is really good for dancers. And I feel like not many people still take a kind of mental health very seriously in the dance world. It's kind of, oh, yeah, now I have to do it. Uh, but I really think it's really beneficial for dancers to learn about that, also to learn how to be self-compassionate. And I guess for many dance teachers, that's something really difficult because they, well, from their dance background, maybe, especially when they're a bit old school or from a traditional background, they did not experience that. They never learned how to do that. And there was actually research looking into that. They actually um, took out some teachers, I think 12 teachers, and they taught them how to deliver psychological skill training. So I think that's a great idea, for example, how to foster resilience in the community, uh, in the dance community itself. Mm-hmm. But I also think we have to be much more open about these stresses, like perfectionism, like injuries, that dancers don't have to be afraid to come back from injury and maybe not having a job when they're coming back. Many have actually uh, experienced that, that they were so stressed about that when they had the injury and instead of getting better, they were getting worse because they came back way too early or they were so worried that they just um, cut their therapy short, for example. So we have to talk about these stresses much more open, openly as teachers, as educators, as artistic directors and actually um, also help people to overcome those by offering them help when they need it. I think very often it's been like, oh yeah, you're struggling with that. Oh well, that's not my expertise in my area so there must be a support system around as well again maybe not just the peers not just the family which is important but maybe also specialists that actually can help yeah I think the destigmatization is really important um and I think especially when we're not we're not medical professionals we're not mental health professionals um but we are maybe helping professionals, you know, as educators or coaches or something. And um, so I think, yeah, bringing things out of the shadows and just allowing them to be on the table and be part of the conversation. I'm thinking, you know, of like eating disorders. Um, That's something I've really worked on as an educator is trying to destigmatize that topic without... Um, you know, one has to be so cautious because you don't want to trigger something, but you also want to make a space for that to be talked about if it needs to be talked about. Yeah, that's so important that you say that um, because one research especially pointed towards that um, eating disorders mostly arise because one of the peers or people in the dance environment have it and it's really contagious almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or it's just a comment from a just making everybody really aware of how we talk about our bodies is really important. That's extremely important. And I've seen that now in the research and otherwise. 
And I think also, you know, you've talked, touched on racism also, you know, bringing, mm-hmm. just trying to make space for that in the dance environment, you know, doesn't mean that we always have to have um, the whole conversation all at once, you know, but just letting students know that you're aware that that's a phenomenon that's happening, that is real, that is affecting them and just, you know, bringing it out of the shadows, um, making it something that, that can be discussed or homophobia or whatever those, um, stigmatizing issues are. Yeah. I was just saying also, I'm, I'm not the person being white and privileged, for example, I'm not the person to give the right perspective on that matter but let's see if you find somebody that can do that mm-hmm. i started doing that and i think that helps a lot because um i just don't feel like i yeah i'm the person to talk about it because i did not go through the same thing as then somebody that might be of color and experience that kind of racism yeah moving um towards wrapping up I have a few questions. One is, um, who are who are the leading names, the leading researchers um, in the field of resilience? If somebody wanted to start learning more about it and didn't want to just, you know, turn to the pop media, but wanted to really look at the the empirical evidence, yeah, the research, um, what would be a good name to drop into Google Scholar? <laughs> well, if if you're more into sports or if you're like us non-scientists that are really like into looking at sports and then translating it into dance, there is uh, Dr. Mustafa Sarkar. He's at Trent University in Nottingham. And he did a lot of great high quality research in sports on uh, Olympian athletes mostly. But he's really an expert on resilience, hands down. And really brilliant what he writes. So he's actually one name. And if you're more into, you know, going going kind of more TED Talk kind of way, there is uh, Lucy Hone. And she's quite interesting because she lost her daughter in a car accident. And she used her grieving process to write her dissertation on that resiliency process that she then developed through that grieving process. That's very interesting how she then talks about this resilience that she experienced and how she defines it. But then within dance, if you now think, okay, I want to read something in dance, there are some dissertations I can actually um, uh, recommend. One is by Carolyn Caratini. And I can't remember now where she, where she is, but she wrote a dissertation on psychological skill training. So she took 12 teachers and actually taught them how to uh, bring psychological skill training to the students. And she wrote a fantastic handbook that is actually adaptable to any kind of student out there. So have a look at that because it's really, really great if you want to train your own dancers in psychological skills. It's a great place to start. And um, another name I have to mention is Erin Sanchez. And she is quite well known in the dance research world. Fantastic, nice person, really a fantastic researcher. And she just wrote a book. She did? On, yes, on psychological skill training as well. It's fantastic i've read it it's really fantastic it gives good tips how to actually talk to your dancers about it uh, how to think about it how to approach it so i can really recommend it fantastic we will put um links to all of those on our resource page um and 
what else do you want to see? You've met, you've mentioned, um, some research that you think is needed. Do you want to wrap up with any ideas about, um, information you really just hope dancers will, will gain about resilience or, um, any research topics that you'd love to see some people sink their teeth into? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> because when you when you when you were kind of going through all these articles, I mean, there's some sometimes where you thought, oh, I struck gold, and then many times where you thought, oh, why didn't you write about that? <laughs> um, I mean, just generally, I would wish that we would talk more about failure and and making mistakes. Um, I think a lot about J.K. Rowling, who who talked so nicely about failure because she said it's from failure that she wrote Harry Potter because there was no way back, there was nowhere else to go. And sometimes I think we, we should kind of talk a bit more about failure and that failure is okay and it's going to happen in your life, whether you want it or not, it's going to happen. And failure is not the end all of things. It's a learning experience if you see it as that. So I'd actually love to see more about that, exploring a failure, because failure mostly leads to resilience, mm-hmm. I think anyway. But of course, I would just love to see more about people of color actually coming out and writing about their perspective on resilience or stresses that they actually experience. Mm-hmm. I would love to see more about self-determination theory because um, there has been something in sports about thriving through these three basic needs being met. But I would love to see more what, what is actually doing with resilience then in that respect. And I would just love to see more people actually going out and doing action research on resilience or these stresses or coping mechanisms because there's so little about it. There's very little out there. I actually miss people being a bit brave and just trying to do it. Um, yeah, you mentioned the action research, the sort of applied um, work of seeing how's, how, how is it working in practice, right? Mm, exactly. I mean, we know that it's nice in theory and sometimes people trying something in a very small part in the research. But I really love to see then in the longitudinal study, for example, how are coping mechanisms working? How do you cope with perfectionism? It's very little on that. I think it's just uh, Sana Nodi Bates that wrote something about it. And also, uh, I think Matt Wine said that uh, some time ago, that we don't have enough replications of research as well. Mm -hmm. I actually agree about that. We should actually dive into certain research and just retry it, expand it. Right. Like in, in like in biochemistry, like in, in exactly. the, the hard sciences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit like that. But, you know, just sit in it a little bit and think like, does it always have to be so new? Is it working just... here? Is it working there? What about exactly. this? Yeah. How is it different here or there? Because mm-hmm. we will see a lot of differences between dance genres. And of course, you know, the, the usual, I mean, we have so much in ballet. We have so much contemporary. I just miss having more broad um approaches to dance that dance is not just ballet and modern it's different things as Mm -hmm. well i miss that yeah yeah i think i think um that's where those and also those replication studies like does it work in hip-hop does it work in classical indian dance does it work what about amateur dancers what about um young dance well michelle any anything else I think I'm going to talk that about resilience. Unfortunately, there's not much, but I can just add that, um, of course, we're hoping to expand now the research project we had. I'm still hoping actually that I could do a PhD project on resilience myself if it's getting funded. So, um, yeah, we will try to kind of 
push out that um, scoping review that we did that other people can read it or be found. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled for that <laughs> eventually. Michelle, thank you so much for that that um, dive into resilience and it's really compelling and I'm, I'm with you. I hope that we see more, more research emerging about resilience and dance. Yes. Thank you for having me. Of course. On behalf of Marissa and myself, I, Ellie Kushner, want to say thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of Dance Wall Podcast. Our intro soundscape was composed by the dynamic duo Brendan Berry and Dylan Ezzy and dancer designer Katie Dean crafted our visual image. To those of you who have made this season possible by contributing to Dancewell, we are infinitely grateful. We wouldn't be where we are without you. Your donations help pay for our SoundCloud membership, website fees and upgrades, and our recording technology. If you too would like to make a donation to Dancewell, please follow the link in the description of this podcast to visit our GoFundMe page. We thank you in advance for your support. And lastly, If you like what you hear, we invite you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud and search DanceWell Podcast to subscribe. You can also view all of our episodes and learn more about this podcast by visiting our website, www.dancewellpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or want to get in touch, email us at dancewellpodcast at gmail.com. Bye!